Good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful Lord's Day today. It's so good to have you with us. We're looking forward to a tremendous time of worship together. I know that we're all anxious to get back together. I can't wait for that Lord's Day. I know many of you are also looking forward to that rendezvous again. And by God's grace, that's going to be a wonderful time together. Uh, so we're looking forward to the governor's um, lifting of some of the restrictions. I promise you that we're going to make sure that all of our consciences uh, can be honored and still worship together in some way. So uh, we so appreciate uh, your patience uh, with us as we've transitioned into, I believe this now, our sixth week of live streaming. And we're thrilled to be able to have uh, done what we can, uh, but we know it's taken patience on your part and uh, patience on everyone's part but we look forward to having these restrictions lifted and still honoring your consciences. So continue to pray for us as we uh, move forward here uh, week to week and really live day by day with the information that we're given. It was a great and glorious Easter Sunday, wasn't it? Uh, both mourning and enjoying the movie together uh, with our families uh, in the evening. Uh, just a great Lord's Day. Uh, we can't give you specific data about how many different screens uh, joined us, but we've got a pretty good indication of what that was. And, and God used your prayers last week to get the word of God and get the gospel out uh, to many people, including folks in 15 different states. So uh, thank God for that. And if you folks are joining us again this morning from those states and others, welcome to you. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, we want to say a special welcome to you, and we'd like to send you a gift. So if you take your phone at this time or device and just text us the word welcome, uh, text the word welcome to 440-255-7045, 440-255-7045. We'll make sure that we send you a gift and uh, we just want to let you know we're thankful that you joined us and that you're an answer to our prayer. And we look forward to staying in contact with you as God allows. We have Mother's Day coming up uh, in a few weeks. We're looking forward to that time together. We want to let you know we're going to have another family movie night that evening. Now, you know, typically on Mother's Day, Father's Day evening, we don't have an evening service. Uh, but on this Mother's Day, we're going to have a family movie showing for you right at 6 o'clock uh, so the kiddos can get in bed a little bit earlier possibly there. I know you're really going to enjoy it as much as you enjoyed last Sunday night's movie. And we'll look forward uh, to that time together. Okay? I just want to give a special word of thanks to those in our children's ministry. So many of you have expressed your gratitude for all the work that they're doing for our kiddos and so I would just like to say thank you for all of you who are participating I know Pastor Kent and uh, Rhonda Potter uh, put a lot of time into this but I know that they've had some helpers from the dynamic duo and now um, they're partners uh, so thank you to everybody who is participating in the gospel in that way I know our kids' hearts are encouraged as they're taught in their homes with those materials by their folks, and we look forward to uh, more special opportunities uh, in the days and weeks ahead here while we're under this quarantine. 
Let's take a moment uh, together and continue with prayer and prepare our hearts for the remainder of our time of worship together today. Uh, And then we'll enjoy uh, two hymns together and then we'll be back uh, in just a moment after those hymns and then we'll have some scripture reading and enjoy the choir and then our sermon and then we'll finish this morning with a with a gorgeous um, special music on some instruments that I know that uh, will encourage your hearts here as we close today Uh, let's pray together father in heaven we love you thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in our homes today uh, throughout the area uh, to worship you apart from one another physically but together spiritually uh, in our position in Christ and certainly in our heart for the gospel and I pray Lord this morning that we would uh, worship as the psalmist said I believe it was in Psalm 15 with clean hands and pure hearts may everything that you hear and see be acceptable in your sight our strength and our redeemer in Christ's name we pray amen all right let's sing together these two hymns of worship as we move and prepare our hearts to hear God's word You may remain seated as we sing, O great God. Let's sing.
Thank you for singing together uh, this morning. Tremendous truths from Scripture put to tunes and words that instruct our hearts in the Scriptures. I'd like to take a moment just to uh, pray together. Um, many of you have been praying for those who uh, have not been physically well in our church, and thank you for that. Um, I'm leaving right after the sermon this morning. Uh, I got a call uh, early this morning or a text from uh, Kathy Jackson, and uh, Joe's not well, so uh, we're going to be going over to, to visit Joe. And thank you for praying for them. I know that the Spirit of God's been ministering to them in very, very, very divine ways because of your prayers, and I know they're thankful for that. I think it's time for us to pray God's mercy on Joe again, that the Lord would allow him to be received into glory uh, sooner than later. So let's pray uh, this morning um, for those in our church who are not well physically. Uh, I'm going to take a moment to pray for those spiritual relationships that all of you develop together around God's word, studying it in discipleship that those would be strengthened and continue. If the quarantine has pulled you apart from the person that you study with or disciple with, I encourage you to, to give them a call this week and to start that back up through some type of digital um, platform or media and continue to encourage each other in the word. Uh, so let's go to prayer at this time. And at the conclusion of our prayer, we have a special scripture reading and testimony from a couple in our church. And then our choir will lead us in a song of worship right before we look into God's word together. Let's pray. Lord, again, we enter your presence boldly because of our Lord Jesus Christ who has provided that way, that means. So in him, we stand before you and we would ask you, Lord, in specific to be merciful to our friend Joe this morning. I pray, Lord, as I know he... He longs to live his life for you. He also longs to be in your presence. And Lord, I know he's torn between the two. But I pray that you would be merciful today, Lord, that you would not allow him to struggle long. And I pray for his dear wife, Kathy, that the Spirit of God would um, continue to strengthen her as she has and help her to understand how capable and how helpful the intercession of the Spirit is for her. I, I pray, Lord, that we as a church would know even more wisely than already how we can minister to Kathy in this hour of walking through the valley of the shadow of death with Joe. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done to strengthen Mrs. Lawrence this week and to keep Mrs. Bear safe through her emergency surgery and to bring her home. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the miracle that you performed uh, in John Washburn's grandfather, taking him from the threshold of death and inevitable, probable death uh, back to health again in an unexplainable way. We can only give credit to heaven for. We thank you for that. So many other answers to prayer, Lord, that you've 
given to us. Um, We're so thankful for knowing that your ears are always open to the prayers of your righteous ones. We pray for those who are discipling together before the quarantine and during the quarantine. I pray for those, Lord, that maybe have been distracted away from that for all kinds of obvious reasons in the last six weeks. I pray, Lord, that they would pick up that phone and call the person that they were studying God's word with and continue growing in Christ's likeness together. I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would continue to help our people be the light of Christ in our community during this difficult time. Lord, give us continually a harvest of souls that would turn from their own self-sufficiency and the sufficiency of of those who are around them and place their faith by the miraculous help of the Holy Spirit uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their soul peace and for their eternal peace. We thank you, Lord, again for the opportunity we have to worship in giving today. I thank you, Lord, for the sacrificial, uh, consistent, and intentional uh, giving of our people uh, for the sake of the gospel. We thank you for that grace that teaches us how to worship in that way and how it continues to be our tutor uh, to know what it means to be a cheerful, uh, hilarious, joyful uh, giver for the sake of the gospel. We ask your hand of blessing, Lord, upon the preaching of your word, upon the reading of your word, as we're about to hear this morning. And uh, may the Holy Spirit have his way to confront our hearts with what we need to hear and to certainly encourage our hearts, what we need to live wisely for you in this upcoming week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's enjoy the scripture reading and the testimony from a sweet couple in our church at this time, and then we'll be instructed from the word and song from our choir, and then we'll dig into the scriptures together. You may remain seated as we sing. Good morning, Grace Church of Menor. Pastor Tim's been preaching through the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. And he thought it would be a a good idea and a right time to read the entire chapter. So we're going to be reading from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. My name is Jeff Ashdown. This is Mary Jo, my wife. And we'll be doing the reading. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort in abundance through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. 
For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us, you also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you, and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but yes in him. For as many are as the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of our God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy. For in our faith you are standing firm. This has been a reading from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, the second book of Corinthians, chapter 1. Have a blessed Sunday.
What a tremendous encouragement the reading of Scripture was uh, by the Ashdowns this morning. Thank you, uh, Jeff and Mary Jo, for that very, very much. That's our passage of Scripture that we're going to continue uh, studying this morning that we began um, several weeks ago. So if you'll take your Bibles this morning, maybe they're already there uh, because you read along with Jeff and Mary Jo. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 together, and we're going to consider uh, a final point, or final truth, should I say, of three that we began, as I said, a couple weeks ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is most famously known, if I can say that, for uh, the comfort of God and how we understand it and learn it. As a matter of fact, uh, when we began a couple weeks ago, uh, we gave this proposition that our church is personally and corporately strengthened as we continue to understand and live together, share with one another the comfort of God. We divided uh, these verses, specifically verses 3 through 11, that Jeff and Mary Jo again have read into three different sections and we talked about an announcement, an announcement that gives confidence to our hearts. And of course, you remember that that was a regal announcement, wasn't it? Describing for us the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, describing for us uh, that God is our Father of mercies and the Father of all kinds of comfort. And we're so uh, immensely encouraged strengthened as we understand the particular nature of our Father in relationship to these things, but particularly in uh, continuing on in the passage in the matter of comfort. We studied next together an advocacy, an advocacy that strengthens the heart. And we see that in verses 5, 6, and 7, to be sure. And this advocacy was one that we share with our Savior, as we share in the sufferings of Christ and we know the comfort of God, we're able to also share that same comfort with the family of God. And this morning we're going to use uh, verses 6 and 7 as somewhat of an introduction to our third and final truth in this passage that we find in verses uh, 8 through 11 going to look at 11 some way by way of uh, conclusion uh, this morning, okay? But verses 6 and 7, by way of introduction to our final point, which is this, uh, that there's an awareness that refreshes our hearts. So we have an announcement, an advocacy, and finally this morning, an awareness 
that truly does refresh our hearts in relationship to uh, knowing God and as the father of all kinds of comfort, sharing that comfort with one another. Uh, this morning, how does Paul conclude this little section? What does he want us to be aware? How does he want us to be aware? And he says here in verse 6 and 7, a couple words or a phrase that I'd like to point out to you by way, again, of introduction to our final point on awareness here. He says, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort, and if you want to underline in your Bible the word salvation, uh, this is a new word that's added here. We've already seen the word comfort. But he says, if we are afflicted, it is for a purpose. It is for your comfort and salvation. Continue reading on with me here. Or, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Look at this next phrase. It's powerful, right? Which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you share in our sufferings, so also you are sharers in our comfort. So he begins in a familiar way, adds a couple things here that are new to us, and then finishes in a familiar way in this little brief introduction to verses 8 through 11. He begins and ends with the sharing and the comfort. We've already studied that. But he adds here the word salvation, and he adds here the effective, patient, enduring. What Paul's saying is here, his example, his testimony, he wanted his life to be a testimony for the gospel. We know that. All of us want our lives, by the grace of God, to be a testimony for the gospel. And they are, and they rightfully should be. But Paul's saying here in particular for those who are in struggles of varying degrees, that it's okay. We ought to want to. And the Lord has provided examples of people, personal testimonies, personal living testimonies of others who have gone through worse struggles than we have. And it's from those testimonies, it's from those personal examples that we're also gifted to learn from them. We're benefited, we're blessed to be able to learn from those people that have climbed mountainous struggles that we have yet to climb. And Paul says this, that the purpose for these testimonies is to encourage us to persevere well. Unto what? To persevere well unto our final salvation. The word salvation here is in reference to the moment when we're released from uh, the struggles of this old world, when the Lord returns and takes us to heaven. He says, all these things we're enduring. We hope you're watching. We hope you're learning from them. The comfort of God, supplied by the grace of God. And we hope that we, and we know you're sharing that with one another. But remember, the personal testimonies are to encourage you to persevere well unto the time when the Lord returns. And that's what saving faith really is. That's the, that's the practice. That's the walk of saving faith. Persevering well by grace, unto the coming of the Lord. But again, right, we never do that alone. So, he uses this, or draws our attention, if you will, in verses 6 and 7, to a personal testimony 
as we progress into other things that he wants us to be aware of here in verses 8 through 11. Have you ever had uh, an end-of-the-road moment in your life, uh, a point where, similar to uh, what we've discussed before, Elijah had in 1 Kings 19, an end-of-the-road moment uh, like even Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he asks the Lord to allow this cup to pass from him if it would be uh, his will. I think it's normal for humans to have end-of-the-road moments. It's even normal for those who walk with the Lord to have these times of uh, intense struggle where we just want our lives to end, and it would be okay if God just ended our life because we, we tire. We tire in the struggle. Uh, I can remember um, in my life, I've had these times. And we're going to read here again in verses 8 through 11 what's already been read for us by um, Jeff and Mary Jo. We're going to read uh, one time in particular that Paul had an end-of-life moment. He just thought it was literally the end of his life, and he probably would have been okay if it indeed was the end of his life because the struggle was so intense. He says here in verse 11 for, uh, verse, for verse 8, excuse me, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction. He starts very, very lightly. It's the most broad word in the New Testament for affliction there. Which came to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively, and now he, can, he, he, he uses different words to show us how difficult this time really was in his own life. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises us from the dead. So, again, Paul's using here an explication now of what he said was valuable to us by way of introduction, the personal testimony. And now he's going to give us specifically a period of time in his life in a very, very graphic way of exactly how difficult this gospel life can be at times. How difficult is the struggle? So he's, he's gathering us around asking us by God's grace to lend an ear, to listen, and then to learn. And we'll see here in just a little bit so that we can be those examples of saving faith to one another in very particular ways. Some of you uh, may remember, I think there may be several of you who may be old enough to uh, remember the uh, Roosevelt fireside chats and his fireside chats were really developed when he was governor of New York before he became president of the United States and um, the first reason why these fireside chats were developed was because of the yellow journalism of the day um, that would exaggerate and, and um, uh, mudsling in writing in newspapers that would damage his character and his reputation uh, about things that really weren't true. And he knew uh, 
when he was governor, it was a very difficult time in our nation's history then, that the only way to um, settle the collective conscience of the people in the state that he represented was to just get them together where he, they could hear from him alone and um, shut out the noise, if you will, from the media. And so I believe his first fireside chat was in the latter stages of his governorship. Uh, but then, as you know, they continued into his presidency. His first fireside chat as president of the United States was in 1933. Um, and just as he began making his uh, informal address on March 12, 1933, this was just eight days after his inauguration, he had spent his first week coping with a month-long epidemic of banks closing in the country. And there were hurting families nationwide. As a matter of fact, he closed the entire banking system in the country on March 6th of that year. On March 9th, the Congress passed the Emergency Banking Act, which Roosevelt used to effectively create the Federal Deposit Insurance when the banks reopened. And at 10 p.m. Eastern that Sunday night, on the eve of the end of the bank holiday, Roosevelt spoke to a radio audience of about 60 million people to tell them in very clear language what has been done in the last few days, why it was done, and what the next steps were going to be. The result, according to an economic historian, his name was Silber, was a remarkable turnaround in the public's confidence. The contemporary press confirms that the public recognized the implicit guarantee and as a result believed that the reopened banks would be safe. The president explained in the first fired chat, fireside chat that within two weeks people returned more than half the cash they had been hoarding and the first stock trading day after the bank holiday marked the largest ever one-day percentage increase. So the term fireside chat was inspired by a statesman who was Roosevelt's press secretary who said that the president liked to think of the audience as a few people seated around a fireside. Listeners who were able to picture FDR in his study in front of the fireplace and could imagine they were sitting right beside him. Now, if you just Google uh, the history of fireside chats, Roosevelt's fireside chats, you'll find all that information. It's not difficult to find. But I believe that's what Paul is doing here. The noise of affliction, the noise of struggle, as was described here by Paul, could be very, very distracting to him. And it can be intensely distracting to us too, can it? Especially in the last six weeks that we've endured together. And Paul's saying, you know what? It's okay just to gather around and listen to the voice of God from the scriptures in relationship to staying focused on whatsoever things are true. This is what God would have for us who are looking for our final salvation as we endure well. We must have these personal testimonies to gather around and we have to listen to them. 
So for the younger couples in our church, when we address the need for Titus II relationships in your life, letting the older be examples to the younger, this in part is kind of what we're meaning. Not kind of what we're meaning, it's exactly what we're meaning. I don't survive well. As the pastor of your church, who's now 52 years old, I don't survive well without the um, testimony of these wise saints. I'm compelled by the grace of God to sit down around them and to learn from them and to listen on how God's grace has tutored them through struggles that are more, much more difficult than mine. Right? So that's what Paul's asking us to do. The warmth and honesty which, with which Paul spoke would settle and direct the collective hearts of his followers and offer them hope for tomorrow. So a couple things I want you to notice here before we walk through the phrases of this passage. I want you to notice how transparent Paul was. He talks about immediately the priority of primary dependency on God that's necessary. And then he talks about the necessary for the necessity for secondary interdependence. Secondary interdependence both from the local church and from church to church. That secondary assist, if you will, includes comprehending the importance of prayer. We read that in verse 11, or we will read that in verse 11, for others enduring trials. I want you to notice, too, the reality of the nature and perseverance of the Christian walk, regardless of our circumstances, as we've highlighted in the introduction in verses 6 and 7. He says here, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, this word unaware is where we get our truth and our third and final point. There's an awareness that refreshes our hearts. What awareness does he want us to have? The affliction that he had in Asia. I believe this probably would have been uh, the primary affliction that he endured in Ephesus. You can study this out on your own. There's differing opinions. But he endured some very grave things in that city. How bad can it get? We were burdened excessively. In other words, at this particular time, he was enduring a burden he had not endured before. He said it was beyond his strength. He would have been unable to um, maybe lift his arms or even walk. He was done. It says here, so that he even despaired of life. That's that end of life moment we talked about before that Elijah experienced, obviously our Savior experienced, other Bible characters and even right local church members that are listening this morning have experienced. He goes on in verse 9, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we could not even trust ourselves. Two phrases here that are powerful. The sentence of death, uh, a lot of people believe that there was an actual legal sentence for Paul to be killed. Um, I think that's what he endured there in Ephesus. Um, others say that it was uh, what he felt inside. There was a uh, Holy Spirit guttural conviction that um, he was going to die. And that was an imminent reality in his life. 
But then he doesn't stop there. He says, really, how good does it remain? First, to our bolster our confidence, he says this, even when he was living under the sentence of death and, and, and even when he's despairing of his life, he says, but in God, our trust is who we know is going to raise us from the dead. And a wonderful celebration of that coming reality for all of us because he is risen, we will rise also. The sting of death, the sting of the grave is removed in Christ, our resurrected Christ. So he has this hope. And then second, he does a little bit of a spiritual remediation here. Uh, uh, he gives us a remedy on how to make our thinking right as we listen to him. He says here uh, in verse 10, if you'll read that verse with me, I want you to underline every time a form of the word deliver is used here. In verse 10 he says, Who, this God who will raise us from the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Three times, right? Past, Paul had known his deliverance. Even though he was despairing of life, he was confident that in his present, God was going to deliver him. And I really believe the third mention of the word deliver here goes back to what we read in verses 6 and 7, is that salvation deliverance, that time when all of us at Jesus' return who are in the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be caught away to be with him in the clouds. Just as he had prophesied, Jesus had prophesied um, in Acts chapter 1 at his ascension to heaven. There's a deliverance that God has provided us in various times of struggle. There will always be, provided by God, saints in the local church who have struggled more intensely than we have. And those are good gifts to us. Paul's setting the pace here. He's older. He's in the, certainly the latter third of his ministry life. He's facing death. He's sharing this testimony. And there's Corinthian believers that had not experienced the growth in Christ that Paul had, nor the degree of his struggle. And he's gathering them around to settle their hearts, to make them aware of a few things. It's a very refreshing and necessary time for them. And he says, look, God's delivered me in the past... Though I've described the agony of what I'm currently enduring, he will deliver me out of this. And by faith, I know he will. And I've still got, I've still got deliverance coming. And it's going to be deliverance from all the distractions of this, of this sin-cursed world. So remember how we began this morning. We all have had our end-of-the-road stories but grace, the grace of God compels us to look up, reorient our hearts and our minds with God the Father, know his comfort as the Father of mercies, share that comfort with one another, and move forward. I can remember a end-of-life moment that I had. I've, I could say I've probably had three 
and all three came in various degrees. I would say the one that was um, most difficult for me was probably um, when I was younger because I really didn't have the knowledge of Scripture even though I was saved when I was 16, 17 years old that God's allowed us to have now. But um, I can remember as I was going through late junior high and high school, um, a very difficult time because the Lord had allowed me to have a lot, of, a lot of surgeries. And I can remember when I came to my sixth surgery, um, a, a deep sense of desperation, uh, like I was going to be losing my future. When I got to my seventh surgery, I pretty much knew that the future as I had thought about it and planned it was taken away by God. So by the time I got to my eighth and final surgery in high school, uh, it's not only that dreams had been lost, um, but really life purpose had been lost. I remember thinking as a high schooler, wow, if God created me to be a certain way and now he's taking that which he created me to be away then what other purpose do I really have for my existence I really couldn't figure it out again I was young admittedly uh, didn't have a grasp of the scriptures still feel like I don't have it like I should but at 17 years old that was my end of life moment and um, you would despair right you would be alone at night in your hospital room. Your family's gone home. There's no one around. And it's, as a believer, it's just quietness, the noise of the agony of your own soul. And you come to the end of yourself. And if you're a believer, there's only one person to talk to. And that's God. And in that moment, uh, he's a tremendous paraclete. He's a tremendous comforter. Obviously, he's given me a comforter that indwells me, who's just like Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. And in that moment when I've come to them myself and I have no more words to speak, the Holy Spirit's interceding on my behalf with groanings I can't even utter. And the God of all comfort at that end-of-life moment when you realize there's no purpose for existence anymore, at least for yourself personally, God ministers, Right? God ministers. When that quiet time's done and God's ministered to your heart personally, what next? What next? Paul tells us what's next here. That's a necessary time for the God of all comfort to minister to you, and He will. But Paul says here, by way of his personal testimony, that's not where it ended. That's certainly not where it ended. In that next moment, where do we go to find encouragement? Well, Paul tells us here that the next place we go is to people. Obviously, his personal testimony is involved, but we're going to move forward to to find out where else we find encouragement. So as we move forward this morning, 
I want to let you know that I personally feel that I'm nowhere in my walk with God without the singular discipline of finding God in my despair, letting him minister to my heart, and I'm nowhere with God in my walk if I don't next look to another believer who's more mature than I or who's experienced more difficulty than I to go find and to sit down and to learn from them. And what do we enjoy from these people? Not just receiving the comfort. That's the previous part of the passage. We understand that. But Paul's going to say here by way of conclusion this morning um, how good it remains for us in verse 11. Let's read that together. You also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of of many. Well, here's something to take with us throughout the week and into the future as well. The comfort of God is not only realized in personal understanding of his nature and work on our lives and in the sharing of comfort from the people of God to one another, comfort is also known through understanding the value of intercessory prayer of the saints. We have that personal example that personal example that we're going to is probably someone who's praying for us and they're probably not the only ones who are praying for us either and what's the value of this prayer we're going to find out here as we move along remember we're preaching this morning our final spiritual truth which is an awareness that refreshes our hearts and we all need to be aware of this reality let me ask you this how many times since the COVID-19 crisis have we told someone that we're praying for them? Probably hundreds of times, right? Do we understand that this is one critical reason why the people of God on the local church level are persevering well through this time of uncertainty? Has your prayer list changed in its content since this crisis began? I'm sure it has. Hasn't your intercession for the saints been developing more and more during this time if you're governed by the spirit of god i'm confident that it has god's grace develops this discipline of intercessory prayer within us and it's necessary let's go back to the story this end of life moment at the beginning that we mentioned that we've probably all had uh, the one that I mentioned a little bit ago that that I've had that probably pales in comparison to many of the end of life moments that that you've faced or even that our uh, brother Joe is facing even at this hour we go to God first right then we go to our personal testimony of comfort in another saint Second, then what? In that moment of self-desperation and reorienting my heart towards God, we're not at the end. We're not at a dead end. 
we still have a road to travel. And there's nothing worse than a long, arduous trip than taking that trip alone in an empty car. God gives his comfort that we share with one another, but he adds to that the the necessity of secondary interdependence. We must continue to go with each other in prayer. He says here, you also joining in helping us through your prayers. This is the only time this particular uh, form of this word is used in the New Testament. Two other times in the New Testament, different forms of this root word is used, and it's interesting what their contexts teach us. This particular word used here in 2 Corinthians 1 is really three words put into one. It's the words with, under, and work. With, under, and work. He says, you join us in helping. The word helping here is that three word put into one. You're joining, they've been joining with Paul, helping Paul work through the struggle that he's experiencing. This word's used in Luke chapter 5 and verse 7, and it's also used in Romans chapter 8. In Luke 5, Jesus is just beginning to call his disciples together. They've been fishing all day without a catch. Jesus said, let's go out in the boat together. And he says, cast your nets. And they say, Jesus, we haven't, we haven't caught fish all night, but we'll go by faith and we'll just cast our nets just because you told us to. And you know the story, right? They, they, they try to pull the nets out of the water, and the nets are too big for them. They rally around, and a handful of strong fishermen can't pull that net full of fish out of the water in their struggle, so they call nearby help, say, come on over here, uh, join us, help us work to get this catch of fish in our boat. But even more intimately, it's used of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 who comes alongside to help us in our affliction through intercessory prayer that we mentioned just a moment ago. The Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings that we cannot utter ourselves. He helps us through his own intercessory prayer. But Paul's saying here, the intercessory prayers of the saints at Corinth are helping him. Helping him. You know, uh, we've seen... Three situations that I mentioned earlier by way of announcement this week where the people of God banded together for a saint. And God helped them persevere well because we worked, we came alongside together with them and we worked through these agonies that they've endured this week even. I think of Paul being alone, being in agony, and yet he's writing a letter to them um, saying how much they've been able to minister to him through prayer even though they couldn't be with him. And this is such a significant time for us because obviously we can't be with each other like we'd like to. But yet look how legitimate the opportunity is we have to pray, to come together and work each other through our circumstances through prayer and it's very very real we had that with with Kay Bear's emergency aortic aneurysm surgery this week 
I mean, you think about this. You leave your children and grandchildren at the emergency room door as you're whisked into the hospital, and you're alone through the whole procedure. You don't see their faces again until you're ready to leave. Think about um, what even the Washburn family went through this week, where they're called and told that their grandfathers had a stroke and By the time they get out to Colorado, they'll probably be preparing for a funeral. And they get to the medical care facility and you you rush up to the door longing to see your grandfather for the last time and he's still hanging on only to not be able to do that. What are we left to do? Well, certainly, it's not that we can just pray Paul's saying here, we come together and we work together and without the prayers of the saints, we really don't survive well unto that final salvation. This is an awareness that does refresh our hearts. Kay made it through that surgery in his home, worshiping together with us right now over live stream. John Washburn is traveling back from Colorado and God miraculously saved his uh, Christian grandfather's life and has almost restored him back to health in a, in a miraculous way. And never had a chance to see him, but he could pray and, boy, he could call back and ask us to join together with him to, to work through this situation uh, together. It's beautiful, beautiful things. And, and obviously... Uh, with our brother Joe again this morning. Um, We can't be with him. Thankfully, his wife can be. But we're working together, right? Working together as God strengthens the soul and gives that necessary ability, that divine ability to persevere well until we breathe our last or until we see our Savior. I can think of another one just a few months ago. Our music director, Ben Richard, all announced to us all with tears in his eyes that his mother was given a very grim diagnosis of, of probably life-ending cancer. And what do we do? We, we band together. We've done the same thing with Ron Major recently and, and countless others, right? Mrs. Coakley and and Pat Badig and and Donna Moses and my goodness the list goes on and on and on Uh, Mrs. Williams and uh, we band together we work together in intercessory prayer why it's necessary every one of us knows it's necessary but it's an awareness we need to have our hearts refreshed with again of the necessity of that intercessory prayer so we all persevere well until that final salvation And look at all the ways that God has answered that coming together and working through this in prayer. Think about all those names and all of the miraculous ways or the consistent ways in which God has physically helped these people and certainly spiritually encouraged these people. And what's the end result of that? Well, Paul says here that thanks needs to be offered to all who came in at a time of desperation to help. 
So this is how he concludes. He says there's a purpose for this. So that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf. And the word person here, uh, I studied this word in depth. I was familiar with it for a long time, but it was interesting to me that what Paul's probably thinking about here, when he says persons, he's probably thinking of faces. Faces. So that thanks may be given to many peoples, many faces on our behalf, for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. It's one of my favorite authors that says that this particular phrase can be literally translated like this. So that thanksgiving may be made through many people for the blessing granted to us because of many faces upturned in prayer. Wouldn't that make a beautiful portrait of the family of God on a local church level, right? Ben announces his mom has cancer, whatever the situation is, right? And hundreds gather around. They come together to, to pray, to help the family work through this, and gathered around one saint are hundreds of saints with faces turned up in prayer, showing that dependence on the Lord that we need realizing that this is a refreshing awareness that we all enjoy and need to know and may we continue to know it more and more this is the spiritual adhesive to the church this is the regal outliving of the person and character of jesus christ among us the spiritual interdependence and practical comfort and intercessory prayer is the groundwork for great gospel work among us and through us in the future i just can't uh, get away from uh, another passage paul wrote in philippians chapter one that he was graced by god to be troubled and afflicted but it was that affliction that was going to fall out rather to the further fall out rather to the furtherance of the gospel you're familiar with that passage God is always himself a comforter. He will always use other believers and their testimonies to directly minister through face-to-face -face comfort. And he will, through prayer, divinely assist through the intercessions of his saints, hurting saints. Yes, God is always preparing us for what he is preparing for us. And he does that through our people. It's a favorite phrase I wrote down on my phone a long time ago from one of my favorite authors. Yes, God is always preparing us for what he is preparing for us. And in times of struggle, we realize none of us are victims, but all servants, right? Servants of prayer. Our tendency sometimes when we get lost in the varying degrees of struggles that we have, our tendency, as one author said, is to become cisterns rather than channels. But God's called us to be channels for one another, channels of personally sharing the comfort of God, and personal testimony, and obviously here in that necessary secondary assist, if you will, of intercessory prayer. And may thanks abound to God, and may thanksgiving abound to one another for coming together to work in intercessory prayer 
unto the glory of God, the betterment of his saints, and the progress of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. I thank you, Lord, for this awareness of this reminder that we desperately need Christian testimony and the local church to listen to as they share the divine comfort of God that they've received in their struggle. Humble all of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be compelled by your Spirit to not just be instructors of the Word, but to be learners of the Word from others. Particularly here, Lord, maybe our Titus 2 saints here. And certainly, Lord, from someone that needs to disciple our soul as we think we have something to share with other people from the Word of God. Help us all, Lord, to know this necessary secondary assistance. And Lord, increase by your grace the discipline of prayer in each one of us. Starting with me. I pray, Lord, that as you have increased that discipline over these last six weeks, may it increase more and more. That thanks may be given to you. Because there's an increased number of faces turned up towards heaven, coming together in prayer, helping the saints work through struggle until our final salvation. And may we be constantly hearing, ear witnesses, if you will, to the regular and consistent refrain of thanksgiving given to God and to one another for what prayer has done. May we look back to this temporary new normal as things get back to normal as a time when we were all brought into the classroom of intercessory prayer. And help us always to remember what we learned in it, from it, and take it with us unto more intercessory prayer. I pray, Lord, when we gather back together and we experience the joy of what it is to see and be with the family of God again and we we sing and we fellowship and we listen to your word, I pray that from now on there would be more and more people stopping one another to pray in an aisle, in the fellowship hall, in a hallway, in a classroom that we would have learned from this time how to be more interdependent in intercessory prayer, that we would come together and we would work together unto this end. Thank you again for our time of worship this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's finish our hour of worship this morning with a tremendous hymn to comfort and settle our hearts uh, by some instrumentalists in our church that are here to instruct us in the word through song. And we look forward to seeing you uh, back together this evening at 6 o'clock. Lord bless you.